Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. At the close of the Old Testament, we know that God went into that 400 years of silence. And many people go back and forth and wondering what exactly took place in those 400 years, but I love what one preacher said. One preacher said, it's best for us to be silent where God is silent. So we don't know exactly what took place within those 400 years, but one thing that we do know is that when we get to the book of Matthew, God is now breaking his silence. And I love how God breaks his silence. He doesn't break his silence with the written word. He doesn't break his silence with the spoken word. When we get to the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God breaks his silence with the living word. We, we know that Jesus said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When, when Mary conceived as a virgin of the Holy Ghost, she was uh, holding there that baby Jesus. Jesus, God is now breaking his silence with the living word of God. When we get to the New Testament, when we get to the gospel records, in truth, when Jesus came in the physical sense, John was more popular than Jesus. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, John, everyone listened to John. Everyone looked up to John. Everyone heard John. John was the big time preacher and John was preaching one day about Jesus. And as he's preaching about Jesus, Jesus showed up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God was taken away the sins of the whole world. I love what one preacher said. One preacher said, you can cut the Bible anywhere and everywhere you cut it, it'll bleed. You know, the overall theme of the Bible is Jesus being the Lamb of God to come and take away the sins of the whole world. I, you can look in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The overall theme is Jesus being the Lamb of God to come and take away the sins of the whole world. When we look in Genesis chapter number four, you see just Cain and Abel, and it was just one lamb for one man. Cain, you should bring a lamb. Abel, you should bring a lamb. God did not reject Cain's sacrifice because he was showing favoritism, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin so in Genesis 4 it was one lamb for one man but then we get over to Exodus and in Exodus chapter number 12 God commanded the man that was the head of the household on Passover day to slay a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost and he said when I see the blood I will pass over thee so in Genesis we see one lamb for one man in Exodus, we see one lamb for one household. Then you get to Leviticus and the priest would go in and he would make a sacrifice for the entire nation. Do you see the progression? One lamb for one man, one lamb for one household, one lamb for one nation. But when Jesus came, it wasn't just for one man. It wasn't just for one household. It wasn't just for one nation. John said, this is the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the whole world. I don't know about you tonight, but I sure am glad that Jesus had a lamb. I thank God for the Lamb of God this, this evening. When John is preaching about Jesus, John said, hey, this man right here, the Lamb of God, he must increase and I must decrease. John, John had to realize that in order for me to lift up Jesus, even though I'm the big name preacher, John said, in order for me to lift up Jesus, I must lower myself. You know, you're, you're really going to struggle at lifting up Jesus if you're only focused on lifting up yourself. John, John said he must increase and I must decrease. 
We know that it wouldn't take long for the name of Jesus to, to spread throughout the land in his earthly ministry. All the miracles that he did, multitudes were thronging him. We know they were thronging him for different reasons. Some wanted to be healed. Some wanted to be fed and some just wanted to see a miracle. Some really wanted to follow him. But word has now gotten out that Jesus is in town. The gospel records there being written now. Well, John is writing to prove to us and to show to us that Jesus, he is the son of God. Now, when we get to the gospel records in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each human penman, they're writing for a different purpose. And we don't have time to go through all of it. But Matthew, the main reason that Matthew is writing is to prove to us that Jesus is a king. The main reason that Mark is writing is to prove to us that he's a servant. Luke is writing to prove to us that he's the son of a man. And John is writing to prove to us that he's the son of a God. It appears that Matthew and Mark contrast while Luke and John contrast. You say, well, well, is Jesus a king or is he a servant? Yes. Say, well, is he, is he the son of man or is he the son of God? Yes. Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God without ceasing to be God. But when we start getting it to John, John is writing to prove to us that Jesus, he is the son of God. The New Testament and the New Testament, the Jews, they struggled at accepting that truth. Jesus would go in and say, I'm the son of God. And they would look at him and say, you're the carpenter's son. The, the Jews were like many Christians today. They, they knew what God did with their forefathers. They knew what God was going to do in the future. They knew about the sacraments. They knew about the types and the picture of Christ. They knew what God was going to do in the future. They knew what God did in the past, but they missed what God was doing in the present. They, they were literally in Jesus' earthly ministry denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get to John chapter number 11, Jesus is using Lazarus. He is literally setting up Lazarus so that he can receive glory. He is setting up Lazarus so people can truly see the power of almighty God. You know, I was thinking about this this morning when I was reading over this, that when God's plan unfolds, he receives the glory. When, when God's plan truly unfolds, he receives glory. The glory. We know that God received the glory in creation. And in Psalms 19, verse number one, the Bible says the heaven declared the glory of God and the firmament soared forth thy handiwork. Uh, Psalms 97, verse number six, the Bible says the heaven declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Psalm 50 and verse number six again, the Bible says, and the heaven shall declare his righteousness. Look, when we look up at the sun, the moon, the stars, and we look at these animals and these trees, we know that this stuff didn't just happen. It wasn't just some big bang and all of a sudden we're all healed. No, we know that we have a creator and we know that that creator is Jehovah God. When we see this creation, we can see, wow, we can see the glory of God. In creation, we see that God's glory is revealed. In the cross, we see that God's glory is revealed. Regardless of how bad it looked and how bad it seemed, God received glory from the cross. And I'm, 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 my, my thought tonight is that if God can receive glory from the cross and if God can receive glory from creation, the question is, can God receive glory from Christians? Can God receive glory from Christians? Now, one thing that we all have to keep in mind is that all of us, we're living a life right now and you are either giving glory to God or you're giving glory to the devil. There is there is no well, I'm not giving glory to God. But I'm not giving glory to the devil either. There is no middle ground here. You either not giving glory to God is giving glory to the devil. 
So you're either giving glory to God or you're giving glory to the devil. Now, this spiritual war that we're in and this spiritual battle that we're in, we got to keep in mind, it's not a battle between me and the devil. The battle is between the devil and God and mankind has found himself caught in the middle. You know, God, God created the sun, the moon and the stars and the devil did nothing. God, God created monkeys and the devil. That tells me we ain't come from no monkey. But God created, the, God created the monkeys and the devil didn't do anything. God created land, God created water, God created vegetation, and the devil did nothing. But on that sixth day, when God created mankind, the devil goes on attack. We got to ask ourselves why. Because it is through mankind that God can receive the most glory. I'm telling you tonight that you're either giving glory to God or you're giving glory to the devil. So when the devil starts attacking you, he's not really attacking you. He's really attacking God. The devil had no issue with Adam, but that is God's choice creation. And now the devil is attacking him. John chapter number 11. There are some things that are taking place in John chapter number 11 that at first glance, it does not make sense. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick and Lazarus is dying. Jesus makes it known in verse number four that this sickness is not unto death. And then 10 verses later, he says, Lazarus is dead. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus, I thought you just said that this sickness was not unto death. And then you say plainly, Lazarus is dead. You know what he's saying? This is not the overall purpose of this sickness. Look, look, Lazarus dying is not the end result. The overall purpose of me allowing Lazarus to get sick and me delaying four days to get to his grave because I'm setting up a scene. I'm setting up a platform. I'm setting the stage so I can get some glory. You know, sometimes life throws us some tricks and sometimes things happen that we can't understand. Sometimes things just happen. We're like, why is this happening? What is going on here? Maybe God is setting up the stage so he can receive some glory from me. This sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God, that the son might be glorified thereby. Can we know something? Firstly, the death of Lazarus, the death of Lazarus. We see that through verses four and 14. But news comes to Jesus that Lazarus and has placed the good emphasis that this is his friend whom he loved. He is sick. And I want you to notice the anticipation verses four through verse six, verse six. The Bible says when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Look, when Jesus found out that Lazarus sick, look, Jesus didn't go into a panic mode. Look, Jesus didn't start biting his nails. He didn't start scratching his head trying to figure out what, what he was going to do because he knew the end result of this sickness. And the end result of the sickness, it was not death. I'm glad that I have a God that when I'm panicking, he doesn't panic. Look, when I'm worried, he's not worried. When, 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 I'm, when I'm frantic, he's not frantic because he knows the end result. I'm thankful that I have a God that knows his anticipation. He knew exactly what the end result would be. But then his attitude, his attitude. Now, before it tells us that he abode two days still in that place, I love what it says in verse number five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, we got to be very careful because when you go through some things that you don't understand, you don't know why this happened. You don't know the reasoning behind this. 
You better know, you better keep on your mind what you do know and not worry as much as what you don't know. But before, before it ever said that he abode still for two days, it said he loved him. And if you're not careful because God didn't show up when you thought he should, you'll start to think he doesn't love you. Look, don't think for one second because he didn't come when you requested or you like you just gonna ring the bell like God is your butler. And he didn't come when you wanted. Don't think that he doesn't love you before it ever says he delayed for two days. It says he loved Mary. He loved Martha and he loved Lazarus. I'm glad that even when God doesn't come exactly when I want him to. I'm glad that I know that he still loves me and nobody can love me like Jesus can love me. We got to keep in mind that his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. There's some things that we just don't understand. But one thing we do understand, he loves you. He loves us. We see his attitude. You know what he's doing? He's revealing a description of himself. You know, I, I was reading through the book of Job not too long ago. And the book of Job, it's a very familiar story. And Job lost everything that he had from his family to his finances, everything that he lost it all in one day. And I'm reading through the book of Job and I'm trying to figure out, God, what is your response to this? We know what Job's response will initially be because we know what our response would initially be. But what does God have to say about this? And if you look through the book of Job, after Job lost everything that he had, when God responded to him, God never gave him an explanation. He never said, Job, this is why. But you know what he did? Every time he spoke, he gave a description of who he was. I'm the one that was creator. Where were you, Job, when I was creating the world? You know, you, know what, you know what I've learned? That when I have a good description of who God is, I, can, I don't need to demand an explanation for what he does. You know why? Because when you see God for who he truly is, you can trust him. Look, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through. And I'm not saying this to be insensitive to anything that you've gone through. But look now, God does not owe you an explanation. That's right. To myself, too. God does not owe me an explanation. You know why? Because I've seen a description of who he is. Because I've seen a description of who he is. I don't need an explanation for what he does because I trust him. You know, you know, he said before he ever said he was abiding for two days, he said, I love them. He gave his attitude. Not only do we see his anticipation, his attitude, but then we're going to see their agony, their agony. You know, they're agonizing because Lazarus has died, but they're also agonizing because the Lord has delayed. And then when we get to the discussion with the Lord, we'll see Martha is having a discussion and Mary is having a discussion. And it opens up with the discussion from Martha. She is making an accusation. She basically goes to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. An accusation to the Lord. Now, I love this accusation that she's going to make because even in her accusation, she still makes an acknowledgement. Look at verse number 22. And we're just walking through this because I really want to show you something at the end of the chapter that the Lord really spoke to me about. But verse number 22, the Bible says, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou would ask of God, God will give thee. Look, I love it, but I know. She didn't know why Lazarus got sick. She didn't know why Lazarus died. She didn't know why the Lord delayed. But she knew that even now, whatsoever thou would ask of God, God will give it thee. So even in her accusation, Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. But I know that whatever you ask, the Lord will give it thee. She made an accusation. Not only did she make an accusation, an acknowledgement, but then she makes an assumption in verse number, verse number 24. 
this assumption that she makes, it is accurate theologically, but it is incorrect practically. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse number 24. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Let's read up a few more verses in verse number, verse number 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even, even now, whatsoever thou would ask of God, will I give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What she said theologically and doctrinally, it was right. Like when we when we die, we're going to rise again to meet him in there. Martha and Mary, they were right when they said that, but they were wrong because Jesus wasn't talking about the latter day. He's talking about today. So he's going to give them the answer after they make an accusation, after she makes an acknowledgement, she makes an assumption. Jesus gives her the answer. And here's the answer in verse number 25. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live again. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm the answer. Right. Look, if I was the answer on Lazarus' deathbed, I'm the answer when he's in the grave. If I'm the answer when he's sick, I'm the answer when he's dead. Look, I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I don't have to know. One thing I can tell you that Jesus is the answer. And if he was good enough to heal him when he was sick, he's good enough to raise him when he's dead. He said, look, I wasn't here two days ago, but I'm here now. I'm the answer. She's making an acknowledgement. She's making an assumption. Jesus is giving her the answer. Martha is. Now, Mary is receiving great comfort. Look at verse number 31. We're going to really see how Jesus is setting this thing up. Now, normally when we start talking about a setup, it ain't nothing good. Say, <laughs> so, man, I, I, feel, I feel like this person is setting me up. That means something bad about to happen. But you know what Jesus is doing in this chapter? He's setting Lazarus up. And not just so something bad could happen, but he's setting him up so he can receive the glory. Let, let's look at how he's really setting this thing up. Say, so, why in the world did it take him Two days, delay two days, and he gets to the grave four days late. I love what the song said. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He showed up to the grave four days late, but he was right on time. Verse number 31. Then, I mean, the Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. You, you know what Jesus is doing? He is delaying so everyone can know Lazarus is dead. Or like some people say, he's sure enough dead. <laughs> he dead and gone. He dead and ain't come back. Everyone's going to know he dead. He delayed. Now, and even in verse number 21, it says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. In verse number 19, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So Jesus is making sure everyone knows Lazarus has died. Everyone went to go see Mary. Everyone went to go see Martha. Now it's about time for me to show up. You know why? Because now it's about time for me to get my glory. Mary and Martha, they were receiving great comfort. Not only that, but there was groaning and crying. Verse number 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, when we get here, we have to acknowledge that Jesus is not just weeping because Lazarus has died. Jesus came with the full intention of raising him up again. He knew that this sickness was not unto death. Jesus, I believe he is weeping because Mary is weeping. 
For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Look, I'm glad that God doesn't just know what I'm going through. He knows how I feel when I'm going through it. He's meeting her while she's groaning and crying. They're receiving great comfort. And even in the midst of this, it don't matter what phase of life you're in, what kind of church you're in, it's going to be somebody complaining. <laughs> so we see groups of comfort. We see groaning and crying. But now we see groups complaining. Verse number 37. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused not even this man should not have died? You know, they, they don't understand it. They don't they don't see the setup. Look, I, I, I love I love playing basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. I told her, Dave, I'm trying to get into tennis, but it really I'm working on it. it ain't really my thing, but I'm working on it. But basketball is my sport. And sometimes we'll set a guy up. And what I mean by that, you'll come down the lane and you'll make that guy step up just a little bit. And he thinks you're going to shoot it, but you're really just trying to drop it so somebody can come and dunk on him. It was a setup. He, he thought it was just floating. He said, oh, I'm going to get the ball. Oh, no, I got a big man coming right behind me. It was a setup. Right. You know what God is doing? God is setting this thing up and they think it's going one way. But God's going to come in and grab that ball. He's going to get a slam dunk and just, it's going to go a whole different way. It's, it's, it's just a setup. So when we get to this portion, people are complaining. But then we're going to see there's a display of his love. There's a display of his love. There was a commandment. We'll just go through this in verse number 30, 39. There was a commandment. Uh, the same thing we talked about on Sunday morning. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Look, before you, God does the supernatural, what do we have to do? The natural. So before God does the supernatural, God does, we have to do the natural. A miracle is when you do everything that you can, and then God steps in and he does what you can. They could not raise Lazarus from the grave, but they could move the stone. Take ye away the stone is the command. And then in that same verse, we'll see the confusion. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time, he's thinking. <laughs> For he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, here it is, thou shouldest see the glory of God. It's a setup. When she still couldn't see it, there was a command, there was a confusion. The conclusion is the glory of God. We'll see that that was a test, but then we're going to see the testimony. This is really where I want to hit at. Verse number 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now, I want to challenge you and looking through John chapter number 11. I want you to look back and find the verse where Jesus prayed. Move the stone away. Jesus is about to raise Lazarus and he stops and says, Father, I thank thee. That thou hast heard me. If you're still looking, you're not going to find me. He never prayed. He never said, Father, can you help me with this? He never prayed. But let me show you something here. Look at verse number. Verse number 41. Not verse 41. Start in verse number. 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit. And was troubled. Verse number 41. Sorry, not 41. Let's keep reading down. Verse 34. And said, where have thou laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. 35. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man open the eyes of the blind? Have caused not even this man should have died? Verse 38 again. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. I asked you to look for the verse where he prayed. 
I want you to go over real quickly to Romans chapter number eight. Romans chapter number eight. This helped me. Romans chapter number eight and verse 26. I want to read this verse to you. Likewise, the spirit also helping our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Bible says in verse number 33 that Jesus was groaning in in his spirit. In verse number 35, it says that Jesus wept. In verse number 38, it says again, he was groaning inside himself. And then Romans chapter number eight tells us that the spirit of the Holy Spirit, when we're in such a situation, some of you have been here and have not just hold on. To where you're going to be trying to pray for something, but you can't even get the words out to pray it. You're trying to ask God to help you, but you can't even get the words to ask him to help you. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and it takes those groanings that are into your spirit that your mouth can't utter. And it takes your prayer to the throne of grace and the Holy Spirit prays for you what your mouth can't utter. Jesus is weeping. Jesus is crying. Jesus is groaning. Never prayed a word and says, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. You know why? The Holy Spirit can interpret the prayers that we can't even pray. I thank God for that. You know, it's a, it's a testimony. And, and Jesus, he's not giving this testimony just for himself. Notice what he says. He says, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And verse number 41. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now watch what he says. I know is that thou hearest me always. But because of the people would stand by me, I said it. <laughs> you know what he's doing? He's giving a testimony. He's saying, I know that when I pray, God hears me. So, God, I'm not saying this to inform you, and I'm not trying to inform myself. I'm informing people that are around me so they'll know that I have a God that can hear my prayers. Every once in a while, you ought to share a testimony. It, look, it ain't for you, and it may not be for anybody in here, but it may be for those non-believers that's nosy and listening in. He said, God, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Hey, God, I know you always hear me, but I said it so they can hear it. (laughs) Look, people watching you. They're watching you. Jesus is setting this whole thing up so he can come back and get some glory. When when he was telling them that Lazarus was was asleep, they said, well, he's sleeping. He's doing all right. (laughs) He said, why are we going to wake the man up if he's taking a nap? They, they had a complete misunderstanding of his sleep. And he says, well, we're going to go over to Judea. He says, well, why are we going to go over to Judea? Last time you went there, they sought to stone thee. Remember in John chapter number eight, when Jesus was there with the Jews, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He, didn't, he wasn't just using the past tense being verb. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. You remember when Moses went before Pharaoh? Whom should I say sent me? Tell him I am have sent thee. He, they knew that we now have a man that is standing in the temple claiming to be God. They didn't say we're going to worship him. We're going to praise him. We're going to give him honor. We're going to give him glory. They said we're going to stone him. Jesus Lazarus is sick. I know. Jesus Lazarus is dying. I know. Jesus Lazarus is dead. I know. Jesus, it's been two days. I know. Jesus, it's been four days. I know. Where's Lazarus? 
Judea. The same place where I went when they tried to stone me because they did not believe I was God, I'm coming back. It's a setup because I need to get my glory from those Jews that denied me and Lazarus has to die so I can raise him again. Look, when you're going through things, you better believe people are watching you. And they want to see how you handle it as a believer. They want to see how you handle it. They want to see, is God going to get any glory out of this? And Jesus set up Lazarus all for one purpose, so he can get the glory. Not only did the Lord had a have a testimony, but we know Lazarus had a testimony. Lazarus, he had a testimony. Notice what he says in verse number 42. And I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou has sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. Here it is now. Lazarus, come forth. Man, I, I absolutely love you. could preach a whole nother message from this portion down. We ain't going to do it, so don't run off on me. But we could. When Jesus went in there, Jesus didn't go in there with a defibrillator, his stethoscope, and an oxygen mask. He didn't go get a shovel and an excavator and say, we're going to get this man about here. No, no. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He raised the man up with his word. Look, if you've been saved any length of time, you know that there's power in the word of God. How do you think God created this world? He, did, he didn't go up to the, to the space and make a moon and come back down and plant a tree and go back up. No, let there be light. And there was light. The word of God has power. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word. There's so much there in the Bible about the Bible. You ought to look in the word of God and see what the word of God has to say about the word of God. That's what I'm trying to say. For all scriptures given by inspiration of God is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering dust. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my bed. I thank God tonight for the word of God because it has power. Lazarus, come forth. I'm sure glad he called his name. Every dead man in that grave would have got up. That, that's how powerful his word is. Lazarus is now being used as a testimony. Now, here's the crazy thing. The Bible says that the Jews began to believe on Jesus because of Lazarus. But then there was another set of Jews that went back to the Pharisees and to the high priest telling on them. We used to call them tattletale. There's little tattletales. <laughs> Running back. Jesus doing miracles. Jesus doing this. So now the high priest at this time, whose name is Caiaphas, he says, we're going to kill him. He says, look, not speaking in prophecy, but in condemnation. He says, this man shall die for the people. He had no idea what he was saying. He said, his blood shall be upon us and our children. He had no idea. So don't think he said, oh, man, he's saying the blood of Jesus going to come. No, he's saying he's guilty and we're going to kill him. Not speaking in prophecy, but in condemnation. So now the feast of the Passover is coming up. And as the feast of the Passover is coming up, the Pharisees, and Caiaphas, the high priest, they all get together and they put out a commandment that if anybody sees Jesus, they are to let them know so they can take him and arrest him. John chapter number 12 is feast time. The Pharisees and the high priest, they put together a council and they gather together and say, do y'all think he's going to come to the feast? We're looking for this guy. He's getting a little too popular. People starting to like him more than they like us. You think he's going to come to the feast? If he's going to come to the feast, we're going to get him. Jesus shows up at the feast in Bethany. The Jews were instructed that if they saw him, tell the council so they can take him. Notice what happens. 
We ain't going to preach chapter number 12, but I want to show you something. Verse number 1 of chapter 12. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany when La where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Verse number 2. Then they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Drop down to verse number 9. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came out, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Talk about a man that had a bad week. <laughs> brother, brother, you done, you done died. Rose, got rose, really, you rose again, and now somebody's trying to kill you. That's a rough week. <laughs> Verse number 11. Because that by reason of him, many other Jews went away and believed on Jesus. You know what happened? They said, if anybody sees this man Jesus, let us know we're going to take him. Y'all think he's going to come to the feast? Oh, yeah, he came to the feast in Bethany. He sits down at the table, and guess who sit right there by? Old dead Lazarus. <laughs> Now pulled up a seat right there to the table. Can you imagine the Jews coming in the room? I think Jesus is going to be here and Lazarus sitting right by Jesus. Oh, man, he said, you know what, man, I, th I thought you were dead. I, I went to your grave. We've been crying and you over here alive. He sits right there. Lazarus, how in the world did you get here? Points to Jesus. You think anybody went and told? <laughs> the Bible says that many of the Jews believed because of him. Look, not because of Jesus, but because when they looked at Lazarus, they knew that this used to be a dead man. He met Jesus and now he's alive. He has a testimony now sitting there. Sitting at the, look, let me, let me say this. This is why it's so important for you to be in your place. That's right. Don't, uh, I, I need, I'm going to say it again because that's where the amen goes. This is why it's so important for you to be in your place. Amen. There we go. I should have said that before we started. <laughs> because you know why? There are going to be people showing up trying to see if this thing is real. Amen. Trying to see if Jesus is real. What if Lazarus didn't come to the feast? What if Lazarus skipped out on Passover? What if he said, I'm not going? And they show up looking to take Jesus so they could kill him. But when they see Lazarus, Lazarus is a testimony of the power of God. Amen. When they see you, you should be a testimony of the power of God when they look at you. Now, let me just say this. And by the way, let, let's keep in mind that they could not have killed Jesus. You ever wonder how important was the timing of the death of Jesus? If Jesus, if Jesus would have came down to this earth and died in a horse and carriage accident, would he have died for sin? No. Of course not. You know why? Because Jesus could not have died until all of our sins were imputed upon him. Until God took all of our sins and put it on Jesus, he could not have died because he came to die for sin. We love to say that Jesus died for me, but Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. He didn't just die for sin. He literally became sin. And he, that's God the Father, hath made him, that's God the Son, to be sin for us. God is using Lazarus. You know, what? it's not time for Jesus to die yet. He has not become sin yet. And he came down here for a purpose. He came down here because I had a plan for him. And when my plan unfolds, I get the glory. 
You know what's happening? God is setting up Lazarus so he can get the glory. I, one, thing, one thing I want out of my life, I want to live a life that is a testimony of the power of God. That's what I want. And I'm not standing up here saying everything's going to be perfect, everything's going to be great. But maybe when you go through something that's hard, and maybe when you go through something that's difficult, maybe it's a setup. Maybe God is positioning you to be a platform for his glory. I, I didn't plan on sharing this. Two months ago, my wife and I, we went through the hardest thing we ever went through. We lost our son. And I tell you, I had so many questions. So many challenges. And I could easily be angry and angry and mad. But maybe God, for some reason, has chosen my wife and I to go through what we went through so somehow he can receive some glory. Maybe that's why. This sickness is not unto death. That's not saying Lazarus is not going to die, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is so God can get some glory. Can God get any glory out of your life? There are some people who are not serving God because they're angry at something that God allowed to happen not even realizing that possibly God could be positioning you so you can receive some glory. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son might be glorified thereby. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know why? I know who he is, and when I know who he is, I don't have to question what he does. I trust him. We love to throw around the phrase, the will of God. We throw it around, sometimes I believe, without even knowing what it means. But the moment something doesn't go our way, we turn on God. It's not called the will of Ed. Look, I, I'm not trying to pop your bubble tonight, but the will of God is not meant to please you. It's meant to please him. And when God's plan and when his will unfolds, he receives the glory from it. Lazarus sitting up there as a dead man. All the Jews came in. And the Bible says many believed on him, Jesus, because of him, Lazarus. When people look at you, what do they see? If we're doing it right, they should see his glory. Because God is trying to use us for his honor and for his glory. One thing I want the most out of life, it's not the money, it's not the cars, it's not all... I just want to be used as the glory for the glory of God. I've never gotten over that from the time I was a teenage boy. When I realized that God could use me. Never. And there are some people who sit in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival, revival, revival. And it never hits you that God wants to use you for his glory. But you got to position yourself so he can use you as a platform for his honor and his glory. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.